for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. How do I, how do I, how do I get from there to 1 Corinthians 10? Somebody tell me. Just go for it. Okay. So, um, I don't know if we can... Uh, I've got a, a, a little um, statement here from a pl- person called Robert Murray McShane. Now, I don't know if you know him. He's a 19th century uh, Scottish revival minister. And uh, just, just listen to this. or It's, it's up on the, the screen as well. The Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. What do you think of that? Okay, two minutes for the person next to you. Work out what you think about that, and then I'll ask you. Go! Come on, a bit of discussion. Pretend you're in class, somebody's giving you group work. Come on, move. Let's have a think about it. What do you think about that? How does that strike you? Okay. Anybody want to say anything? Just shout it out. I know you love doing that. Just shout out what you've been discussing or any thoughts that come to mind when you say that, because that certainly it made me think when I read it, when Andrea showed me that verse. Any thoughts? Yeah, got quote you've got a quote for me, have you? Go on. Our Jesus Christians is uh, to, to give other people the faith to believe God for what they need. The faith to believe God for what they need. I like that. That's kind of similar quote. Lovely. Any other, any other thoughts people had? A winsomeness, yeah. So it should be a, a difference about us, but that is attractive. Yeah rather than a difference about us that makes them feel condemned or uncomfortable or whatever. Any other thoughts? Leading by example. Leading by example. So that we want people, when they look at us, and that's where it makes... Actually, this quote makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Because it makes me think, gosh, is, is that what I'm like? With the people that I work with and the people that... My family and, I don't know, people who meet at the school gates. Is that what I'm like? That I make it easy for others to believe in God? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's uh, read through. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, and I will come back to the uh, idea that I've started, but I just wanted to get you thinking uh, this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under a cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, the rock that was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
verse 8. We must not indulge in any sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I'm then going to move on to uh, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I tries to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to this passage this morning, will you speak to our hearts, will you challenge us and will you encourage us? Lord, will you help us to just get a sense of what you're speaking to us individually today? Holy Spirit, come, bless us now. Amen. We're on chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, aren't we? And as you'll have noticed, there are certain themes that kind of go through 1 Corinthians. So, once again, verse 8 talks about sexual immorality. Phew, I can avoid that one. That one's already been dealt with a number of times, hasn't it? Good, so I can move that over to the side and I'm not going to go through that again today. Verse 15 um, onwards, the part that I missed out, talks about whether the Corinthians should abstain from eating meat sacrificed to idols, which really is the idea exactly of what Catherine preached about two weeks ago. So there's lots of themes that go through 1 Corinthians 10. So really today, I'm not going to go through verse by verse But I'm just going to pick out two themes, two, I think, new or slightly different themes. One of them uh, builds upon what uh, Graham talked about last week. The first one is idol worship or idolatry or fleeing idolatry. You see in verse 7, it says, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And when they're talking about eating and drinking there, they're talking about an idol, a great wooden idol, and then there would be the idol worship, which would be wild, eating and drinking. It would be a a wild and immoral place. So it's talking about fleeing uh, idolatry. In verse 14, it said, My beloved, flee idolatry. So that's the first thing. How do we look at idolatry in our world today? What is the modern version of an idol. What, is moder- what are modern idols? We'll talk about that in a minute. And then I want to really move on to the challenge of verse 33. It comes out in the uh, quote up on the, the screen. And it's about doing everything we can so that people can somehow get saved, can somehow get to know Jesus, can somehow have the hope that we have. So those are my two themes, and hopefully you'll see me linking those together. Okay, so here we go. Flee from idolatry. That's what it says in verse 13. A number of different things we're supposed to flee from uh, in the Christian life. Flee from uh, temptation. 
free from the devil. And here we've got flee from, free from, oh, flee from idolatry. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 says this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians, he's saying, you know, you were worshipping idols and you've turned away from them and you're now serving the living and true God. That's what he was talking about. That it was when you didn't know Jesus, you're worshipping idols. And when you did know Jesus, you were following him. There's a, there's a, a difference there. But what are idols in our generation? What are the things that people worship? What are the things that they, if you like, obsess over? Because there aren't many of you, I think, were tempted before you came to church this morning to kneel down before a wooden statue. Maybe there are one or two of you that were. I don't know. But there weren't many of you that were in that situation. So what are modern day idols? They're not statues, or they may be. They're not really images made of woods. Wood. Thank you. Okay, um, <clears throat> if you don't mind, I'd like to um, speak. Uh, thank you, Joel. If you don't mind, I've got the verse I want to read. Brilliant. Let's give him a clap. There was actually a reason to that, and I did actually ask Joel to do that, although he did come in slightly early that freaked me out. <laughs> and the reason for that is, what idols do is they block out what we're supposed to be having a passion for. So you were trying to listen to me, but what were you listening to? The drums. I was trying to explain about idols, but you couldn't hear that. All you could hear was the fascinating, amazing drumming that Joel was doing. And idols do that. They block out our vision of God. They take our passions and our lives. They take our efforts. I'll tell you when you can come in in a minute. Okay, so. Uh, Richard Keyes, in his book, No God But God, describes a modern-day idol as this. An idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as a god. All sorts of things are potential idols depending on our attitudes and our actions towards them. Idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in the form of an over-attachment to something that is, in itself, perfectly good. An idol can be a physical object, like a drum. It can be a property it can be a person, it can be an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, or a hero. Anything that can substitute for God. So the idea of an idol is that anything that we substitute, we put in the place of God. Anything, if you like, that we dwell on. What do you think about most what really is in your minds? Is it, is it maybe that Mercedes? You just think, if, if I could buy a Mercedes. Nothing wrong with Mercedes. Who have I offended? <laughs> Nothing wrong with them at all. Oh, gosh. Nor BMWs. They're great. <laughs> 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 
Sorry, Roy. Um, there's nothing wrong with those, but if that's what you're obsessing about, if you're waking up in the morning and think, oh, if, only, if only I could get that Mercedes, if only I could get the promotion at work in order to do that, it takes your mind. For some of us, maybe we obsess over sport. And our mind goes through, oh, now, if we changed the opening batsman in the test team, maybe we would have done better in Sharjah. No, you may not be that interested. Maybe for some of you it's obsessing over football. Maybe it's things. Now, these are all things that are not necessarily bad or evil, but if we obsess over them, if we take too much notice of them, if we spend our life thinking about them, they take the place of worshipping of God. Uh, Exodus 20 verse 3 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. 1 John 5.21 says this, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. I've got a great quote here from John Calvin. And he says this, Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. The great John Calvin said, Our minds, we create things all the time that becomes idols. We're brilliant at it. Our mind, it's so creative. We can always find things that take our passions and our minds up. We can always do that because we've got this wonderful, creative mind. We are a perpetual factory of idols. So what is it, the sort of things that we might treat that are idols? Maybe these are good things that we take too much notice of. Maybe they're just neutral things, like a car. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a neutral thing. What do you think, Roy? Or maybe it's something that is in itself unhelpful and evil. It has an, an essence of temptation for us in it. I'm just going to go through a few of these. These are many, many of these things are good in themselves. Family, for instance is good in themselves. We believe in strong family in this church, don't we? We believe in strong relationships and a, a healthy place uh, for children to grow up. We believe in, in, in you know, respecting uh, older parts of the family and, and, and having that. But sometimes family can become an obsession. That's the only thing that's important. It can become a, an idol because we say, actually, my family has to be perfect first and then I can think about Jesus. Things have to be absolutely perfect in my family. I need to, I, my, my house needs to be so tidy and so perfect so that, yeah, <laughs> okay, one or two is fine, but it's got to be so tidy and so perfect so that people can look at me from the outside and think we have a perfect family. Success for some people is an idol. We don't like, certainly I don't like, failing at things. I will put my heart and soul into, if I've got something to do, I want it to make it a success. And sometimes success in life can become an idol because we want to go to the next stage. Maybe it's our role in society. Dare I say it, could even be role in the church, couldn't it? That that's more important than Jesus himself. Maybe it's a job or just getting a job. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's having that, that popularity with your peers or maybe, and maybe a number of people, this might be relevant to, aren't actually here today, maybe it's Xbox games. Or maybe there are some people. Maybe it's the, the, the PlayStation. Maybe that is what takes our time and our passion and our emotion. But there are two idols that I want to talk about just a little bit as we go through today. Two things, I think, that are very prevalent in our modern generation 
But interesting as we, as we look through um, 1 Corinthians 10, we see here that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And as, we, as I talk about these two, these are ones that have been all through the ages, but I think are particularly prevalent at the moment. So, I have two here for you. I wonder if you can think what they are. The first one is going to be the idol of the self. And the second one is going to be the idol of materialism. Okay, the idol of self. We live in an age, don't we, of self-promoting on social media. It's about promoting ourselves, talking about ourselves. It gives us an outlet for talking about ourselves in public, saying what a, a wonderful this we have. Here is me as I get up in the morning. Here is me going to work. Uh, here is me um, annoying my teacher in school. Here is me doing this. Fortunately, in two seconds' time, this will be gone, so you won't know, but everybody can see what I'm doing. And, of course, there's also body beautiful, isn't there? The idea that uh, people have to somehow look beautiful so when they put a picture up of themselves, it looks very uh, impressive. Think of, for a moment, of the self words we use. Some of them positive. Some of them definitely have positive elements. Self-worth. We want to have an element of self-worth, don't we? But actually, our worth doesn't come from ourself, does it, as Christians? Our wealth, our worth comes from Jesus, Our worth comes from him. It's our security in him that makes us feel that we are worthwhile. Self-image. The image we have of ourself. Self-esteem. Again, with self-esteem, our esteem is in God, isn't it? Our confidence in ourselves only comes through God. It's only by his salvation. It's only because he saved us and he set us on that firm place that we can feel self-esteem, self-conscious. And some slightly more negative ones, self-absorbed. Some people can be very self-absorbed, very much talking about themselves all the time. Or they become self-obsessed. And I even looked up a word that I have no idea what it means, but self-actualisation, something to do with counselling. I'm sure some people here could tell us what it means, but it sounds impressive, doesn't it? Or just plain selfish. And, and of course, the most modern one, the idea of a selfie, isn't it? That we go around and we take a photo of us. And I put it up so everybody can see. And another one, because it's all about me, you see? And if I'm feeling a little bit daring, I could do another one. Who knows? I could show everything of myself on social media if I wanted to. Hopefully in a 10 seconds time it'll disappear. But we do have in our society, and maybe it's always been there but in a different form, the raising of self above God, about my needs, not his needs, about my comfort, not his challenge, about my fulfilment, not his commission. I've got a little uh, phrase here I've I've been playing with, and uh, it says this. Jesus doesn't exist to fulfill all our desires. We exist to fulfill his commission. And in him, we are more than satisfied. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't exist to fulfill all our desires. We exist to fulfill his commission. 
and in him we are more than satisfied. And as I say, an idol idol isn't always something that is, in essence, evil. Having self-confidence is not a bad thing. But it's the obsession of that that puts itself in the place of God and is even an element of unbelief. Okay, so that's the first one um, that I think is very present. prevalent in uh, our culture today. The second one is the idol of materialism. I have to say, as uh, I was uh, preparing it, um, I was absolutely amazed. I don't watch Christian television, but I put it on. I won't say which channel it is, but I put it on, and there was uh, somebody there, and he was in a what looked like a diamond-studded coat talking to the camera, and I thought, is that representing Jesus? Oh, I found that uncomfortable. And then, and then somebody next to him was, was prophesying, I can only describe it as prophesying, I'm not quite sure what it was, to the camera, and it was talking about, you will be somebody who will have an idea that will make you a millionaire. So there's this essence of money. That's what, there was this essence of wealth and money representing Jesus, who had nowhere to lay his head. It, it was just something that culturally I found really really strange. I was fascinated by it, I have to say, to see the things they were saying. and whew, It was interesting. Do you know, some, for some of us, and I think we all at some stage fall into that, I know I've been challenged with this this very week, that our, our life is only a success with money. It's only a success with material possessions. If we have those, then we look at that with the sense of success. In fact, that's the only stuff that will make us happy. And that's what I want to really challenge. Uh, Luke 6, verse 13, this is what Jesus said. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I'm not going to talk more about the, the materialism. Um, because I want them to move on and look at other things. But those are the two ones I felt were important today, and hopefully we can just reflect on those. The, the idol of self and the idol of materialism. Okay. Many of you here may know Hudson Taylor. Yeah, great 19th century missionary to China. And this is a story from his life that uh, links with this. Uh, so he was a, a missionary to China in the, well, 1850 to 1890. He was travelling by Chinese junk from Shanghai to the Chinese city of Ningpo, and among his fellow passengers was Peter, a Chinese who had spent some time in England. Hudson became friendly with him and unsex- unsuccessfully tried to win him to Christ. So he, Hudson Taylor, great mission, was talking to this Chinese man about Jesus on the boat, but he didn't manage to convince him of the truth of Jesus. He didn't manage to become a Christian. So nearing the city of Sunkiang, he was prepared to go ashore to preach and just to distribute tracts. That's what Hudson Taylor did. He went to preach and to do, distribute tracts. And, and he was in his cab, cabin and suddenly he heard a splash and a cry that told of a man being thrown overboard. He ran up to the deck, looked around and realised that Peter was missing. Yes, exclaimed the unconcerned Chinese boatman. It was over there, I think he went over, unconcerned about 
the one who'd fallen in. Now, Hudson Taylor was much more concerned. He got the sail dropped. He jumped into the water because even though Hudson Taylor could swim, he knew Peter couldn't. And he searched around everywhere, looking for this man who'd fallen in the water, unsuccessfully. And then he saw, caught sight of some fishermen with a dragnet, just the thing he, they needed, a net that would drag in and pull him up. This is the conversation he had with the Chinese fishermen. Come, he cried, as hope revived. Come, drag over this spot. The man is drowning. Vebin, he said. That's my Chinese for you. Vebin, he said, was the amazing reply. It's not convenient. Don't talk of convenience, Hudson Taylor said. Come quickly, or it'll be too late. We are busy fishing, said the Chinese fishing fisherman. Never mind your fishing. Come only at once and I will pay you well. How much will you give us, said the Chinese fisherman. Oh, don't stand talking there. I'll, I'll give you five, five dollars and save his life without delay. That's too little, they shouted across the water. We'll not come for less than $30. But I haven't got that with me. Look, I'll give you all I've got to help this man. And how much is that? The sailors said. Oh, I don't know. I've got about $14. They came. And the first time they passed the net through the water, they brought up the missing man, Peter. But it was only too plain that he had drowned. And Hudson Taylor comments, sacrifice to the callous indifference of those who might easily have saved him. Hudson Taylor used this as a story when he came back to England to inspire people to the mission field and to inspire people to come and support him in his work in China. And I'm just going to quote a little bit from him. Could it be that anywhere on earth people were found so utterly callous and selfish is the body then of so much more value, value than the soul? We condemn those heathen fishermen. We say they were guilty of the man's death because they could have so easily saved him but did not. What of the millions whom we leave to perish and that eternally? What of the plain command, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? So Hudson Taylor, this story, it talks of two things, doesn't it? It talks of the, the fishermen who again were feeling too busy, but also it was money. They said, look, if I get enough money, then we'll do it. And that's slightly relevant to what we've been talking about. But the reason I think I like this story, because it, it brings me back to with, with, with the, the idols we've been talking about. What do they block us out from? And I think that is the Great Commission. They just get us busy. They just get obsessed about other things. They just get us condemned and convicted about other stuff. But not focusing on the Great Commission. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to spend maybe my last few minutes just talking about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus had come and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How we've heard that a number of times, haven't we? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples of all nations. Do you know that's our passion and our hope, isn't it? That we will be those that will make disciples, that somehow our our witness and our um, communication and our lives will help others to look to Jesus. I have to say um, that spending time with Summer Church, we had the great privilege of spending lots of time talking to those who weren't Christians about Jesus in, 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 you know, in whatever way could be accessible to them. Spending time now uh, with Alpha on a Monday night, it has changed my heart and, and almost the joy that I have, which is wanting to talk to people about Jesus. And I know I'm not good at it. I know I'm not good at it. But it's changed my heart in that. You know, talking to people about Jesus, praying about it, talking to people about Jesus does more for your relationship with God than anything else, I think. It was great, the worship this morning, wasn't it? I felt so close to God. I felt his touch. But the encouragement from talking to somebody about Jesus, praying for them and seeing them healed, who doesn't know Jesus, that's just amazing. That stays with you. That gives you joy and hope. That, that, that really is something that's worth living for. Talking to somebody about Jesus, you know, as, as one or two had the opportunity of doing over, and, in, over the summer with Summer Church and praying them through the sinner's prayer and then seeing them come to church and being part of us. Now, that really is something, isn't it? That's something to live for and be inspired for and be encouraged. You know, my passion for the unreached has increased recently and I and I'm spend so much of my time thinking about everything I do in that respect as I said I don't think I'm good at it but that's our heart not to be caught up with those things in the world that are good and right and we've got to get some of them right and some that aren't and we need to just get rid of but so to flee idols but to focus on what Jesus has said to us in his great commission Now, I'd, I was wondering how to, uh, to finish this. So I think what I'm going to do is to take what you probably shouldn't do in the end and go on a completely different tack. Because <clears throat> it does there say, make disciples of all nations. And my heart, yes, is for Ashford and the surrounding area. But my heart is also for all nations. And God has been quickening me in that respect as well recently. I've been praying, and you may feel this is slightly strange, but I've been praying particularly for the minorities, the uh, minority people groups around the top of Vietnam and the southwest of China. And uh, so I think I'm just going to finish by talking about one of these people groups and just to see the need that they have, because it's not just about reaching out and making disciples in our nation. It's about all nations and how we build those together. So, I've no idea how to pronounce this, but I'm going to call them the Buye minority. They're mainly in China, and a few are in the north of Vietnam. Their worship is a mixture of almost everything. It's Taoism, it's Buddhism, it's animism, it's ancestral worship. It's all put into one. Um, They worship, they've got lots of superstitions. They're very superstitious people. They live very much up in the mountains of North Vietnam and and southwest China. And they worship the spirit of heaven, of earth, of mountains, of the soil. Their population is about three million. So that's, in my mind, about the size of Wales. Population is about three million. 
Uh, I've looked into it as much as I can, and estimates come from uh, that there are no Christians at all represented, so there may be up to 250 Christians represented, and there are a number of Catholic churches, a small number of small Catholic churches in the group in China. One of the things that, that touches my heart is that although missionaries translated the Gospel of Matthew into the Bouye language in 1906, the translation is now obsolete. So for these people, they have no portions of the Bible, they have no Christian media or Christian literature in their own language, and they have, I would imagine, some people who are passionate about their salvation and reaching out to them. And I know our heart is for our neighbours, and that's where it should be. I know our heart is for Ashford, but I want to challenge us that we can also have compassion for those in a distant part of the world who don't know Jesus. I want to challenge us that maybe some of us, or maybe some of our children, will end up working not just with reaching out to those who desperately need it on our doorstep, but to those who desperately need it in different parts of the world. You know, that touches my heart, and I hope it's touched yours and just given a, a slightly different complexion to it. If you, look, if you want to look them up, you can look them up under Bouye or B-O-Y, I think they're called, if you look up the ones in, uh, in Vietnam. Do you know, whether, whether it's, it's Vietnam or, or wherever your, your passion is, we are called to have one passion, aren't we? And that is Jesus. And we want to be called his witnesses first and foremost. Thank you.